I'm Harry Lennon and this is Dragon Heart. Welcome to Dragon Heart. I am joined by Bill and Mark. Unfortunately, we haven't won the league. How are you feeling after that, boys? Um, not too disappointed. Me and Mark were lucky enough to catch up a little bit earlier in the week, and I think it was one of those. It, uh, it, we we didn't think we were going to win. You know, like we've done the title amateur all year, which I'm I'm going to rebrand, but we'll leave that for a little bit later. Uh, it's it's yeah. I, I I'm I'm not too bothered. It is disappointing on the day. I think almost the fact that we. Uh, conceded they they scored and we conceded in the fashion that happened almost took a bit of the the blowout didn't it mark yeah exactly i, I think that to be frank <laughs> the only scenario last sunday that would have actually made me feel upset would have been the stockport had lost and we'd blown it and then you know the realization actually it was in our hands and we didn't do it that would have hurt but yeah I mean, we. I mean, while commentating, of course, Jay, we were looking at stock walking as well, and you could see Halifax hadn't turned up. That game at one nil, it felt over. Felt over at nil nil. Frankly, it felt over because Halifax were just penned in their penalty area. So I think thoughts of the title had gone in my mind about 20 minutes after kick off. Anyway, to be frank, so yeah, shame we lost three nil. But again, I think it was a bit of a weird occasion. Um, talking to some a lad who was in the away end, he's saying he felt that the fans obviously were amazing, but maybe that sense that Stockport have really won it transmitted itself from the stands to the players. He felt, and if that happens, it's understandable maybe that we just can't quite get a grip on a game. But you know, we go again. Well, we certainly do go again, and we're also going to be talking about this little away day we've got on Sunday against Bromley at the mighty Wembley Stadium. And we've also got a few other little bits and bobs to talk about, so let's not waste any more time. This is Dragonheart. I'm Dan Jarvis, and this is Dragonheart. Dagenham, I think, yeah, one of them games, Mark, um... Very, very tough to watch and especially very, very tough to commentate on, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a shame. I mean, I think to be fair, there's two teams in any football match and Dagenham were very good. I thought they, they, they did a good job of executing their game plan. I don't think we did a very good job of executing ours, but when we're under pressure, it's worked well for us having the, the midfield drop off a bit deep to protect a back three that isn't all that deep. Um, but this time it didn't work because I thought Dagenham were excellent at moving the ball around, at stretching us a bit, at just popping the ball into those pockets, little 10-yard passes. I thought that, I mean, they could mix her up because McCallum is a very good target man, but they could all stir a, very, a lot of very good movement around him. The two wing-backs want to come inside. They had midfielders, especially Robinson, coming and, and making driving runs forwards. Marais, the other striker, would drop off, he'd pop up everywhere. It was hard sometimes to keep track watching the game of which Dagenham player was making which run because they were so fluid around us. It reminded me a bit of um, the season when we didn't any goals in, uh, when Chris Holroyd was top scorer. 
under Dean Keats when uh, Aldershot did the same thing to us, just lots of excellent movements and they outmaneuvered our defence and yeah, they, they did that really well. They worked the chance, they worked the situation, they made chances and had it not been for Dibble, it could have been a lot worse, to be fair. He made four very good saves, I thought. Yeah, I'd like to echo that with Dibble again. He's such an excellent goalkeeper first level. Um, could easily be a number one at most teams at this level. And I think we're you know to have a second keeper of his calibre, it showed on Saturday. If it wasn't for him, it really would have been a bloodbath, wouldn't it, Bill? Yeah, I think, you know, Dibble, Dibble's one of those players who's a little bit unfortunate in that his mannerisms and the way he maybe approaches the ball sometimes make him look worse than he actually is. You get that odd little fumble after a save that, that you know, for recently hasn't actually resulted in any sort of issue. Uh, but people will see that and think he's rubbish because he's fumbled it. Well, what does it matter if he, if he, if he then recoups the ball afterwards? <clears throat> You know, it's it's such a tough situation because he he keeps us in the game completely, and uh, how can you how can you assess it other than that? You know, he he's, he's had three goals go in past him, and he's probably run of the match. It's a tough day at the office for him, wasn't it? Busy day at yep. the office. I got to bet in my in my pathetic goalkeeping career myself. I used to quite enjoy games like that. Admittedly. If I was playing for Wrexham, I wouldn't be enjoying it. But, <laughs> um, you know, I quite like being kept busy. But, uh, yeah, like I say, he was very busy. We couldn't blame him for any of the goals. And that the, the saves were, were very impressive. I'd also say that um, he, he did have a, a little flaky moment at the end of the first half because their disallowed goal, I'm really not quite sure what it was disallowed for. And mm-hmm. certainly he missed the cross. Uh, he was very angry with the referee saying that he'd been fouled, so fair play. Maybe he had been fouled, but um, he was a little lucky, I think, to get the decision, I thought. But no, he's done really, really well. I, I take your point, Bill, about uh, sometimes with goalkeepers might look scruffy, but if, if the bottom line is, are you costing us goals or giving away chances? I think that's a good point, well made. And you know what? It kind of provokes me into an early Uncle Griff's bedtime story, if you'll indulge me. Uncle Griff's bedtime stories. I, uh, and this is, right, this is revisionist, right? Um, people, people don't uh, agree with this, I'm telling you. Mark <laughs> Cartwright, our keeper at the end of the 90s, was not as bad as everyone said he was. Now... There were certain circumstances that played against him, and you might you might want to uh, reopen the Maxwell Maybe debate over this. He replaced Andy Marriott, and he replaced Andy Marriott voluntarily for whatever reason. Brian Flynn decided Cartwright was his man, and okay, I think it may be that Marriott wanted to go, and and Flynn was kind of calling his bluff. But Cartwright was a good keeper, and he'd done well for us as a backup, but he wasn't as good as Marriott. So and fans knew that, and I think they were looking at him with expectations, thinking you're going to have to be good, mate. Otherwise, we're going to we're going to be angry at Flynn over this. And he started off magnificently. Most famously, he was brilliant at main roles. We drew 0-0 in the league against Man City. I wonder what they're doing now. 
and he was magnificent. He was at, he had the game of his life. It was brilliant. But the fans turned on him and they started calling him. And can I just say, this is not a helpful thing to do with your goalkeeper. They started calling him Coco the Clown. This is not, this is, this is not terribly helpful. But I've got to say, for me, there was only one game where he made mistakes that led to goals. He, what made people nervous was he tended to come for a lot of crosses and he didn't hold on to all of them. But it, he, he, apart from one nightmare he had at Oldham, I don't recall him making mistakes that led to goals. And I think, to be frank, that was partly because he was a big, brawny bloke who'd come aggressively for crosses, come for crosses he maybe shouldn't do. And if he didn't make it, people backed out of the way because they don't want to get smashed by him. So I think, actually, he was a better keeper than people gave him credit for. But the fans got very edgy and they'd be making, you know, disconcerted noises whenever he dropped a cross. Some of the defenders got a bit edgy with him as well. And I think that sort of sealed his fate. And he went, I mean, gosh, I mean, it's a tragedy, really. Imagine this. How sad is this? He went to Shrewsbury. Oh, poor bloke. Um, but I always felt sorry for him. I also say sympathetic for him. Although I'm not jealous of, uh, I'm I'm now jealous of him because he's gone on to do things like be the uh, sports director at Stoke City, and he now runs the NASL. So to be fair, the lad landed on his feet. <laughs> but yeah, I felt in a way it's not the same as Dibble because he did miss crosses. But to be fair to him, I think it didn't really punish. He didn't get punished for it. So there you go. My bedtime story. Oh, I really enjoyed that bedtime story. <laughs> I love that little flashback with Mark. Uh, oh, yeah. There is, there is a thing to I'm so sorry. Can I add a PS to the bedtime story? The sort of morning, um, breakfast espresso. I don't know what this is. Uncle <laughs> Griff's shaking you and saying, get up. The alarm's not gone off. Um <laughs> This is unsubstantiated, but I believe it's true, and there's no harm in telling it now. That supposedly he saved our um, cup tie at Man United. Can you imagine it? Sunday morning, we're flogging tickets for us to play in the FA Cup against Man United, <laughs> and um, and it was a hell of a big occasion because it was the FA Cup, so they'd given us the actual stand behind the goals, so loads of away tickets, and. The, we played Orient the day before and we got a huge crowd, but a lot of them turned up, got their ticket, which was a voucher. When you went, sorry, when you went in, you got a voucher for the Man United game and then they left. Um, so there's an enormous queue. And I remember, you know, it was horrific going all the way down Crispin Lane and off to God knows Buchwin or whatever. And what none of them knew was that the tickets apparently had been locked away in the strong room at the race course and they couldn't find the key. And supposedly, Mark Cartwright, who was there by coincidence because he was going out with one of the office staff's daughter, smashed the door down so they could get to the tickets. Now, that's, that's exactly... <laughs> that's why, if that is true, that's why you didn't want him to be hitting you coming out screaming keeper's ball because he's the sort of bloke who can smash a strong room door with his shoulder... So that's why people got out of the way when he came for a cross, because he was going to take your jaw off, wasn't he? Wow. So that wonder is... What else, yeah. wonder what else he could break through. Oh, you know, now, that's something we should do, isn't it? 
We'll get them over from America <laughs> and we'll get a series, just like the end of Shooting Stars, we'll get a series of increasingly thick objects and see what you can smash through. <laughs> like that Rhino Man bloke in Spider-Man, remember him? <laughs> Uncle Griff's Bedtime Stories. Well, as, as you mentioned it before, the Maxwell Miebe thing, that was a, that was a similar situation to the to what you just explained there with Cartwright, wasn't it? Uh, where the fans obviously um, loved Maxwell and maybe had his critics. And at the moment, I'm just trying to do anything to not talk about the Dagenham game. I like to jump on this one because the Maxwell maybe thing always does my nutting when people speak about it because everyone says, oh yeah, Maxwell was so much better. It, it's That's like revisionism, but the opposite of the way Mark does it. In the, at the time... The, Miebe play was playing better. His form was better. He was in that squad on merit. I'm sure everyone would have preferred Maxwell to be playing in terms of the branding and the fact that you know he was a young Welsh lad that was that come through the youth system and everything. But Miebe played better. And okay, fair enough. Maxwell's obviously gone on to have a better career, but I, I don't like that. I've got a lot of time for Miebe. He's a he's a, he's one of Wrexham's greatest characters. I think he and he he deserves a little bit more respect sometimes. I come at that from the exact opposite direction, I'm afraid, Bill. <laughs> um, I was very much in the Maxwell court. And there, there is actually a little weird reason for it, but how many bedtime stories can we take in one go? Um, however, I do think that the revisionist thing has been, that I think now people look at maybe a bit more like a figure of fun a little bit, whereas Maxwell yeah. is seen as a solid keeper. Um, I think, to be fair, I think that... The fan base at the time, the way I saw it, was split. There was a lot of arguments yeah. about who, you know, it's like Team Mayabi and Team Rebecca Vardy sort of thing, you know? And Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. That's what it was like at the time. But there's a lot of people now who say Maxwell was the best at the time when yeah. you think, hmm, did you, did you think that back then? Or were you yeah. just saying that because Maxwell's gone on to play for... Preston and whoever else. Sorry, Mark. I'll carry. That's no, right. I, 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 that's fair enough. And I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going to be clear on this. I was always Team Maxwell. I always thought he yeah. was a better goalkeeper. But I think because of this weird antagonism between the Rex and fans over it, I think the AB has afterwards got a raw deal because people have yeah. maybe, like you say, have jumped on the Maxwell bandwagon and have underrated me AB plus as we heard when he was a guest on the show uh, last season um his last games for Rex and when he did play badly he had a really bad Achilles injury and he should not have been playing and he pushed himself because Rexham needed him to and he played badly he let in poor goals and if you remember that Andy Bishop Hattrick against Gateshead uh, but we we went 3-2 and the opening goal for Gateshead is basically a shot from outside the box straight at him and for some reason he just falls over backwards and it just goes in. Um, <laughs> but to be fair to him, he could barely walk and he kept it quiet. So, you know, I, I got a lot of time for me, AB, but I think the fact that he's he's not taken on his own merits, he's measured against Maxwell, makes yeah. people, myself included, look for flaws sometimes. But I, I feel you can look back at him, he's... For me, Maxwell, me, AB, and I, I apologise to Rob Lainton for saying this, because I think he's an excellent goalkeeper. But I, I still would say probably Maxwell, me, AB, the best keepers we've had since we dropped in the National League, myself. But we had them at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. And I think if me, AB had the decision-making and the, 
you know, the, a bit of ice cold behavior like Maxwell had, it would be a Premier League goalkeeper because um, maybe had all the attributes physically to be a Premier League goalkeeper. And I think Maxwell had all the decision, uh, had fantastic decision making. So if you could combine Chris Miebe, they'd be a fantastic goalkeeper, like a world-class <laughs> goalkeeper. <laughs> anyway, anyway, sh- 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 shall we talk about Dagenham? Because we- yes. we've tried everything but not talk about it. Because let's be fair, the second half wasn't great. And 55 minutes in, Junior Marias gets a goal. Um, what was your thoughts at that point, Bill? Um. I mean, as soon as Stockport scored, and like Mark said, uh, you could just tell it was over, to be honest. So when the Dagenham goal went in, it was like, well, you're looking for three goals to go your way, two, two for us, and well, four, two for us and two for Halifax. And that's like, it was as big enough of an ask as it was, and that, that was just, just added pressure. I think uh, Mark's, uh, you know, Ben was right, and I, 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 you know, I've heard from other people as well that as soon as that atmosphere drops, the players are going to sense it, aren't they? You know, you can't expect them not to. They're just, they're only human. A big crowd like that that, that were, you know, didn't didn't necessarily hear it, but were apparently very very noisy. And we can come on to that a little bit later. Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it, Che? I mean, what what can you say? It's the same for all three goals. I think you can't you can't completely blame switching off because there's obviously a tactical element. No team beats a team like us 3-0, regardless of the situation, without being able to put in a very good performance and um, do a good tactical job. Um, but at the same time, uh, yeah, just dis- disappointed after that first goal goes in. It was a bit, the whole thing was a bit soft, wasn't it? The whole performance was a bit soft. Well, yeah, and then Paul McCallum finishes the game off, doesn't he, Mark? Then really, 80th, the 80th minute. Um, who I, it was a soft header, wasn't it? it? It was a bit too easy. I think it was Ben Tozer at the time, wasn't it? It was marking him. Um, I could be wrong, but I think it was all just a little bit too easy, the second goal, wasn't it, Mark? Yeah, and he'd been caught out earlier in the half with a short corner that it worked back to Weston, and then he put it in from the edge of the box, and we got caught with it again, which is, again, the sort of thing that managers get very angry about. You know, you want your players to see a problem and then make sure it doesn't happen again. But it happened twice to us. So, yeah, that was frustrating. But again, I mean, the other thing is we're sort of thinking we've got to chase this game. We can't we can't equalise. We've got to win it. Now, you know, when it organically happens, like at Halifax, fine. But when you're really thinking, oh, my gosh, we need two goals, you, you, you do maybe start to think, not, not so much switching off, but thinking about getting there up the other end when you should be yeah. thinking about defending this corner. You know, players, I'm not saying in this case, but, you know, how many times do you see a team so desperate to score that they they don't use the ball very well because they're so desperate to, to get the ball to a teammate so that, you know, they, they make the wrong decisions because they're, they're not thinking straight. And maybe that's why we weren't totally focused on the, on the, um, the short corner. Plus, of course, let's not forget, we'd made a lot, we'd made... A lot of, I mean, the substitution after each goal we conceded and we changed our shape. And, you know, maybe people don't talk about this enough, but when you change your team like that, you can sometimes get a bit mixed up who's marking whom. I'm not saying that happened in this case, but, you know, we've changed our shape, we've altered things around, and maybe after that first short corner, they've said, right, you, 
get across and make sure next time we've got two blokes over there, but maybe that second guy has just been subbed and the sub comes on and nobody said to him and so nobody goes across there. So the little things like that mm. can make a difference. But I, I think just bottom line, I thought that the key thing is Dagenham played really well and I was very impressed with them. And the second important thing is that I don't think that's something that really influences what we do going on. It was a, it was a freak situation, and I, I don't think it's really relevant. We've got to hope not <laughs> relevant to what happens mm. on Sunday or in the or in the playoffs. Myself, do you know what though? I I think you know like that. I think you're spot on. I think our performance against Stockport highlights that negative results uh, don't affect us when we go into big games because we went and smashed Stockport, you know, and we just come off the back of that disappointing Boreham Wood result and. Uh, not that far off walking result really and that was a huge game and we're going to be playing at the race course with a bigger pitch in the playoffs we're going to be playing at Wembley with a bigger pitch and we're going to be playing at the London Stadium with a bigger pitch and I'm sure Ben Toes is going to be absolutely reveling the idea of having an entire running track to sprint across to, before he throws ah. his, uh, his uh, throw-ins if rather we than get have it there. fine right I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to jinx it I'm just saying you know if we do win at the race course we're, we're then moving on to conditions that really suit us. Big, bigger pitch against these teams, you know, if they want to dig in and try and, and and put these blocks in place and stop us from playing, but the more space we've got for Mullin to run into and Palmer to knock balls into, the better. So I'm not overly worried myself either. Like you say, it was a bit of a freak situation, wasn't it, Mark? Right, gentlemen, it's time for a quiz. I'm going to name three football pitches and I want you to rank them in order of pitch dimensions okay and those three pitches are Bromley Wrexham Wembley <laughs> biggest to smallest yeah if you want right remember what Dave Clifton said dead air is a crime I'll, I'll just <laughs> right. okay okay okay, I'll, okay I'll say Wembley's obviously the biggest mm-hmm. and then I'll go Bromley second biggest and Wrexham smallest. Bill? Yeah, I think I'll go with that because I know Wrexham have shortened the margins over the years, haven't they? The, the touchline used to go right up to the near to the barriers in the past and now there's a little bit of a gap, isn't there? So I think I'll go with that as well. I researched this because I was thinking Bromley, long ball team, cause problems at home. Maybe it's because they got a small pitch and so they can knock it and then get their midfielders up quickly and then press and pin you in. So I researched this and the smallest is Wrexham, 103 metres long, 66 metres wide. Second smallest is Wembley, which is only a tiny bit bigger. Wow. 105 times 69. And Bromley's pitch is massive, 110 times 73. Wow. So Bromley's pitch is enormous. Um, yeah. Wow. So, so I, I really didn't expect that at all. The maximum dimensions are 120 by 90, and theirs are 110 by 73. The minimum wow. 90 by 45, and we're 103 by 66. It's funny that, isn't it? Because Wembley's like notorious for having a big pitch, isn't yeah. it? Or like you know, like whether it actually has one, but there's that that um, reputation of the pitch being massive. There's yeah. a lot of psychology, I suppose, with the size of the stadium affecting because the new, the new camp, everybody thinks it's a bit massive pitch, but it's actually really small because of the way 
the ground's built, isn't it? They can't expand the pitch size. They just have, because it's built into the ground. Yeah. It's uh, They can't expand where the, the field is any more than, the, than, it, than it is. So, yeah. Wembley. But, yeah, fair enough. So maybe the fact that the pitch is a bit smaller than Bromley's might go in our favour. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me wonder as well, the race course. I mean, with our pitch being small, it does certainly help Toza to put the ball anywhere he wants in the six-yard box. And also, we are very good at pressing at home. And is that part of a mm. reason why we don't get a grip of away games sometimes? That we there are too many ways out? You know, if we try and press on a bigger pitch... It might be a bit easier to find a way through, possibly. I don't know. At least Wembley's not too much bigger than Wrexham anyway. Yeah, so we're all right there. Yeah. Well, I was just going to give my final thoughts on the Dagenham uh, game, really. As I said, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll agree with you both, actually, that I, I don't think it's actually going to affect us too much. Um, you know, it was a bit of a freak game. However, I do think if we do lose on Sunday, that may affect us morale-wise. I think we may get a little bit desperate. So, <laughs> well, let's not wait, waste any more time. After this, we're going to talk about that final on Sunday. I'm Liam McClendon, and this is Dragon Heart. Well, <laughs> Bromley away, Wembley, FA Trophy final doesn't get much more bigger than this, but it feels like a real strange one to me, this, because I can't look past the playoffs. It's all I'm thinking about, to be fair. And I think this game could be either amazing or quite dangerous to our playoff you know, mentality and morale, really. I think if we get a good win, a convincing win on Saturday, I think we're going to be bouncing and ready for the playoffs. But a loss might, well hopefully not, might wobble the team a little bit. Mark, are you excited? I am excited, and I'm more optimistic than that, Jay. Um, surprise, surprise. <laughs> not that you're a, a pessimist or anything. Um, but I, I think I'm really glad that we came second. Well, no, I'd rather we came first, but you know what I mean. And we are straight into the semifinals, because if we had to play a midweek quarterfinal... I think that the Wembley game, if it doesn't go according to plan, could hurt us a little bit. But as it is, I think the way these games are spaced out and the way the fans were just phenomenal at the end of the Dagenham game, treating the players like they just got promoted after a poor performance, the fans, I think, have compartmentalised this. Last Sunday was a shock to nothing. Wembley is a day out at Wembley. The semi-final is serious business. And I think that regardless of what happens at Wembley, regardless of what happened at Dagenham, I think that, that that semi-final will be absolutely bouncing. It'll be nuts. So I, I think I, I think we just got to go and enjoy it. There's enough time for the team and the play, the fans to reset by the semi-final. And, and yeah, I'd loved it if we'd gone up and this could have been just an end-of-season party. And then, quite frankly, I don't think I'd really care that much if we won. I'd rather we won, obviously. But now, no, I... I, I I, I think the semi-final is a different matter. And, yeah, I, th- I think we'll, we'll be revved up for that, as Bill said, on a familiar home pitch to get at uh, our opponents, whereas this weekend is more of a cool experience of it. Yeah, it's 
it is a really cool experience. Going to Wembley is great. It's not one of my favourite grounds, but going to watch Wrexham in a final is always an amazing experience. Bill, this is your only, your second FA Trophy final, I believe. You missed the good one, so hopefully this will be yeah, the second hopefully good Hopefully I'm one. not a jinx. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm not too nervous about this game. Cast your minds back to 2013, where a younger Phil Parkinson is the manager of Bradford City and his team go and get battered 5-0 in the League Cup final against Swansea. And then he goes on that season to go and get Bradford promoted. So as, as a pro, as a manager, I think he's clearly got the ability to pick his team back up after disappointing losses. So win, lose or draw, I'm not overly worried about uh, how the trophy goes. Secondly, We've got a bunch of players now who, unlike the first couple of times we played in the trophy, especially the second time, have kind of been there and done that with uh, with uh, Wembley. There was a, a really good thread on Twitter by an account called The Wrexham Lowdown uh, that uh, broke down all the different uh, players that have been in different Wembley matches. And almost all of the ones that, of our squad that have been involved have actually won. Uh, one player, Ollie Palmer had lost one, but he'd also won a game at Wembley. I can't remember off the top of my head which the games were. And another player had been a loser, but pretty much everyone else had won at, at Wembley. So we've got a winner's mentality. We've got a squad there who who have got that ability to go and perform in big games. And I think we've seen over the season that they're able to put um, compartmentalised performances and, and still go and perform afterwards. So I'm not quite as negative. Now, whether we'll win or not, I'm not 100% certain. Maybe the negativity will kick in there. I just, I'm just not overly worried that it'll, it'll bother us too much if we uh, don't win. Uh, I hope not. I think that's sort of easier said than done. I think the Bradford situation, this situation is a little bit different, isn't it? You know, of course, yeah. You know, Bradford were playing Swansea. They were always the underdogs, weren't they? And, that, and they weren't expected to win. This time, Wrexham are expected to win. We are playing a side that isn't as good as us, but I wouldn't like to say that too um, quickly because I do believe Promley are a good side, and I think in both ties we played them this year, they won the sides that have actually, you know, without losing, without beating us, of course. Of course, there's actually a little bit of problems. They've got some good players off the top of my head. They had that Ali Al. Maddy, who causes a bit of a pro- caused Hayden a bit of problems in the in the last game. They have um, Michael Cheek, of course, and uh, you know is it, and Chris Bush, the centre half, and uh, Liam Trot, who almost decapitated Jarvis last time they played. Uh, yeah, they're all very solid players, aren't they, Mark? And they're a very well organised, oiled team. They are, and I have a lot of respect for them. Having said that. Since uh, the end of January, they've only won three games in the league. If you think about it, when we were playing them, they were right up there, weren't they? Yeah. And they have tailed yeah. off very badly in the league. They lost it to Kings Lynn, for example. Um, they lost to Boreham Wood recently. Nobody's been losing to Boreham Wood recently. Um, they drew at home to Dover. Now, maybe they, they've got their Wembley heads on and they did score four at Barnet on the last day of the season, but I, I think they're a decent side. I think, like you say, they've got good players. I think they're they're very well drilled. They're difficult to play against. I, I wonder whether they're, you know, sort of like 
as we saw when we played them, it's playing them at Bromley, which really makes life super tough. They've only lost four games at home. They've won 11, lost four. I mean, that's tasty. Whereas away, they've lost nine. So, you know, hopefully we can get at them and hopefully without the home comforts, uh, they, they, they won't be able to dictate the terms like they did to us at Bromley last time. Because if you remember, that was a horrible nil-nil where we just couldn't really get a grip on the game because they were long ball forcing us back and, and we just couldn't quite get the game played in the way we wanted to, which was very frustrating. Well, the, the home the home game was quite tough as well, wasn't it? They had an early red card. And I think with Trotter on the pitch, I think that could have been a different game too. I thought that was quite straightforward. It's just that the early red cards conditioned it, yeah. if I recall. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're certainly not to be underestimated. But I mean, look at our form since late January compared to theirs. I mean, we we are strong favourites for a reason, aren't we? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. We, we, I yeah. You look for their their team and our team, man for man. They're a good national league side, aren't they? In all fairness, you you, you class them as a you know a couple addition. Strong additions, they could easily make a good shout for the playoffs next season. Uh, yeah, I, I think throughout the pitch, I think we are the better side. I, I can't really see uh, looking at their lineup or on their bench, they really have many better players than ours. And I think the only ones that would really make the squad would be someone like Michael Cheek, and he'd also be sitting on the bench to Mullen and Palmer, wouldn't he? Which says a lot, but again, it's it's a it's a cup final. There's a lot to play for. It, form can go out the window in a big occasion like Wembley, can it, Bill? Yeah, it certainly can. You only have to look at the one time I've been to see Rex uh, Wembley. Oh, well, both times actually, but the the FA Trophy final I went to, where North Ferriby, some team from the the middle of nowhere, come and and smashes. You know, in in a lot of respects and. It's easy to forget we were 2 0 up until the 70 odd minute in that game, and it ended up being 3 2 at one point. And these these games light a fire under players who who might never get a chance to go to Wembley again uh, on both sides, you know. So, uh, yeah, got re- to respect them as opponents, got to respect the occasion, and hopefully we just go and do the business. Uh, I can't be bothered with extra time, though. I'd rather <laughs> they just beat us in 90 minutes. We don't need that extra 30 minutes, do we, and all the added um, stuff Best. that comes with it. I don't know they didn't beat us in 90 minutes. I'm going to be honest with you, Bill. <laughs> that's all I'm not being 100%. No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not being 100% <laughs> serious, but it would just be a bit disappointing if we had to to drag it out into extra time because of the fatigue side of things, really. It's just what time do you get home? Isn't it? <laughs> and there's yeah. that as well. And, you know, it's, well, it's, a lo- it's a long day, isn't it, if you've got an extra half an hour and penalties on top? Well... Right, here's a quick fire question to you both then. Is that will there be any changes to starting eleven? Would you make any changes to starting eleven? Bill, you go first. Um unless there is background injuries, no. Okay, Mark. We know now that Bryce has had a knock on training on Friday. Is he is he fit now? If he's fit, I think I start him at right wing back. Uh, do I change anything else? 
I don't think so. Although there's a part of me says that if you need to refresh the team, we do have O'Connor on the bench. I don't think any of our midfielders deserve to lose out. But I do think O'Connor is a very high-class player who, on big occasions, would be a very useful asset. But I guess that's why managers get paid to make big decisions, isn't it? Because I think leaving one of our midfield trio out at the moment would be a massive, massive call. But O'Connor's class, so... But certainly, I think Hosanna, I would genuinely consider him. The other question is, Phil Parkson did imply a fortnight ago that Aaron Hayden is being monitored. How good oh, is he? Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> we've seen no sign of him since, so I'm assuming that maybe he's not near fitness. But I'd want to see him fit for the trophy, otherwise it might become a gamble to use him in the playoffs. Yeah. So I'd love You'd to rather see him, him get a run out, wouldn't you? You'd rather get him, him get a run out of some sort on Sunday, wouldn't you? Yeah. Test his fitness. You know, if he makes a mistake and we lose the trophy, ah, well, you know, we know he's not ready for the playoffs then. But I, I think my, my one worry would be for not playing a full-strength side is that these lads have done really well this season and the ones that have played the majority of the games deserve to be rewarded. As much as I'd love to see from like a talking like a, a football manager, FIFA point of view, if I was playing a career mode on FIFA, I'd probably put all the kids out and all the the the, the reserves and everything just to get that game over and done with. But we're talking about real life and these, these are players with emotions. You know, if you're going to drop Luke Young for Tom O'Connor, well, that might be Luke Young's only chance to play at Wembley. And you're robbing it. He's, he's played so well all season, you've potentially robbed him of that opportunity. So it's a difficult call, isn't it, Mark? Well, you're a sneak, you are, Bill. Because I thought, <laughs> I, I thought I'd skillfully sat on the fence, but now you've called my bluff. So I'm going to have to give a bit of specifics and say, I'm not saying drop Luke Young. Uh, <laughs> so, right. I didn't, I, I'm not no, saying no, no, that. No, I never said that it, wasn't and I'm not saying it. However... I, I, was, I was more saying that just because I'd imagine James Jones, I think he... I think when I was looking at the, the players that have played at Wembley, I could be wrong, but I'm sure he was involved. But he's played at League One, he's been in big games, so it wasn't it wasn't that I was expecting you to say Luke Young, it would just be one of them two, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be Jordan Davis, I don't think. But I, um, there's, there's no place for sentiment in this. I think the, the, the bottom line is uh, we're not going to write off the FA Trophy because it's a cup final. There's no need to rotate yeah. at all because we've got a full week to recover before the playoff game and a full week beforehand to prepare. So... This isn't the case for um, rotation. All I'm saying is I think at the moment I want Hosanna in the team because he's, he looks fresh and he's playing well. So if he's fit, I want him in. And O'Connor, I'm not meaning it as a rotation thing. I'm meaning he is a very good player. If we've, we have, we've had a little bit of a wobble, haven't we? Let's be honest, at the end of the season. Not a massive one, but we've had a couple of disappointing performances. You know, sometimes it's good to just have a little upgrade and put O'Connor in and say, okay, for the playoffs and for the trophy, all right, let's pop this lad in. He's class. Let's let, let's let him dictate the game. So I'm I'm not I'm not meaning rotation. I, I we pick our best eleven on at Wembley, um, but I'm just wondering whether our best eleven might be slightly different from the one that played at Dagenham. That's all I'm thinking. Uh, I too far as I. Probably echo everything you said there, Mark. Uh, yeah, Bill. Yeah, that's the views of me. All right. Um, it makes a change, doesn't it? It's usually negative longs over here. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and another quick fire question for you both. 
your favourite and least favourite thing about Wembley? Bill, go. Okay. Can I be controversial? Wouldn't be go disappointing on, if you weren't. Um, favourite thing is the occasion. Least favourite thing is the England national team and all the imagery around the stadium. I don't really like seeing all the England badges and everything. Sorry, anybody who's English who's listening, who's a Wrexham fan, but it's not my cup of tea. I've got to say, I've got a greater complaint about the uh, the way the pitch, the, the stadium is decorated. Now, I was at the Carabao Cup final this year. Um, and as I was going down the steps, leaving, they had, you know, different famous occasions on the ceiling as you walk down. And then they had concerts, like great bands, U2 and people like that. And the main one at the end was Michael Jackson. Now, I, I don't want to get drawn Ooh. into this too far, but do we still put Michael Jackson things up? I thought we didn't. It felt an odd move for Wembley to make. I'm going to be honest with you. As long as they didn't have the No Therapy versus Wrexham thing mentioned there. No, that, I, I think they... <laughs> I think they go more down the Bobby Moore route than yeah. uh, <laughs> Andy Coughlin. Andy Coughlin. <laughs> right, Mark, what's your favourite and least favourite thing? I'm tempted to say my least favourite is when I was shown that video of uh, someone behind the bar at Wembley at Tyson Fury fight <laughs> scooping up leftover oh, and yeah. selling them for 40 quid. Um, uh, I'm not saying the same about what was it? Wasn't this a 35 quid pick and mix with about three sweets in it? Um, I think that's not yeah. so bad because if you're stupid enough to pay that, I reckon it's right to charge you that. Um, but no, I won't go for that. I'm going to avoid my usual complaints, blasting out black eyed peas when the fans are trying to make atmosphere before and after the match. I'll leave that one. Don't know if I'm left now. Damn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think what I like most is if we no if we win uh, the atmosphere fans actually create because it will feel special because the Wrexham fans will make it feel and, and feel special. And like I said, I went to the Carabao Cup final as Chelsea Liverpool. I mean, football at the top ends become quite boring, hasn't it? Really, because the same teams are there all the time, but their fans still made it feel very special because it's still a cup final. Well, Wrexham Bromley's fans most certainly will because this is a, a rare thing for us. So I think the best thing is that for for all the reservations about Wembley, and a lot, they're justified, and all the problems about Wembley as a venue, and there are problems, it's um, it's special to get there. Admittedly, yeah. if the result goes against you, you suddenly see all those problems and all those negatives and you absolutely hate the place. But when you but beforehand and when, you know, when you, it's an occasion for you, it's special and it's brilliant. And that Grimsby game, I mean, it went to penalties, could have gone either way, and yet we recall it as a glorious victory because it's where we had it and the fact we got a trophy. So it's that's the positive. The negative, it is a bit. Oh, I mean, it's the transport links and things like that aren't great. Yeah. You can have hassle there so you know, sometimes. I think it should be all right for us because it will be a capacity crowd. I'm going to say the worst thing is the mixed zone at the end. You know, so it's got a proper press set. Oh, I just remember the much better thing to say. Damn. Um, the, the the press setup is that you have people brought down to the auditorium 
to do press conferences. And then you have a mix zone where you can go and all the players and staff have to go through that way. So the press can grab whoever they want. And it was one of my most depressing experiences doing Wrexham games after the Newport game. I was standing there and I was thinking, I need to get a player. And my heart wasn't in it. I didn't want to do it. Um, I, I kept looking at the players who just looked gutted. You know, they've worked so hard all season and it ended like that. And I started thinking, do people really want to hear them? <laughs> you know, I don't mean like in a nasty way, but just, you know, everyone's to forget this. It was horrible. And yeah. I remember seeing Brett Ormerod <laughs> stopped and talked to the BBC and you could see like in his eyes, he was like, oh, I just want to go and jump off the stand. You know, he looked so down because he'd missed that great chance. And I just thought, I'm not doing this. And I turned off. I didn't get anyone because I just I just thought, my stomach's not in this. They're all gutted. I can't, I can't, I'm not doing this to myself or to them. So that was the worst thing is more of a personal memory. Although I do have something that we need to be aware of here. What? Food. Now, when we played Grimsby, <laughs> went in the press box. Now, I remember the good old days of the Football League where you'd often get like a little press room and there might be some sandwiches in there or something like that. Or even, you know, they, they, they sometimes they bring up little sandwiches or something, if anyone wants them in the press box or half-time, things like that. You know, so nothing dramatic, but nice little touches. I remember about Chesterfield's old ground once, they brought around what was, they admitted was leftovers from the sponsor's suite. And I've got to be honest with you, it wasn't the most appetising looking chicken drumsticks I've ever seen. I, I passed oh. on that. Um, <laughs> but at Wembley, all of a sudden, you're in the, the sort of like um, gravy train zone. So the Grimsby game, the FA is paying for the catering. So the Grimsby game, you know, I actually can't remember what the food was. I just remember being astonished by how good it was. And how you could just have as much as you want to just go back, have self and Alpins, do whatever, you know, have a sleep in the second half. So, yeah, so it was wonderful. And so when we went to Newport, the Newport game, I, I didn't eat all day. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm going to fill my boots, you know, the gourmet spread that they have at, at Wembley. Now, I swear to God, everything I'm about to tell you is not exaggerated. This time, it's paid for by the National League. Yeah the National League, two men and an office in Kettering with a photocopier. Uh, and so they'd obviously said, what's your cheapest catering option? And then if we give you one-eighth of that money, what will you give us? And so I swear to God, this is exactly what happened. There was a lad who I can only describe as looking like the work experience boy. He was standing with a pair of tongs, behind like a sort of heated, one of those heated food, food keepy warm areas, as they call them on MasterChef. And it was fish and chips. So they'd managed, I think, to get about four pieces of fish out of each fillet. So they were about two centimetres square, the fish. You got one of those. And then you got, they were quite big, chunky chips. But there was a woman standing behind it with her arms folded, looking extremely aggressive, who would, would, who would say to him, Every time someone came to be served, free chips only. And so you would get a tiny piece of three. fish and three chips, what? right? Three chips. It was <laughs> one of those, you know, when you have like the paper cone to make it look attractive, you know, that's an ironic 
paper cone, you know, where you could fit the three in, a tiny paper cone, and that was it. And some people, because journalists are notoriously keen on getting everything they can for free and pushing their luck. And so as I was queuing up, people were saying, can I have some more chips? And she would just step across the line and go, no. It was amazing. It was just like, right, we've, we've, made, we've made 46 chips, and that's that. <laughs> there will be no more. Wow. You will get three each. Paradise 46 is not divisible by three. I'm sorry. Um, and it was just, it was like, you know, how many meals? <laughs> feed a whole press box on five loaves and two fishes, but leave out the miracle. It was astonishing. Wow. So I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping as the FA are footing the bill, I'm hoping that it'll be a slap up meal. But, well, I can't. I can't wait. <laughs> if it is a slap up meal, exactly. But I don't know now. You know, well, I regret having that seventeen pound fifty motorway service station prawn sandwich, or will I wish I'd had one? I don't know. We'll see. We'll have to gamble, Mark. Do you reckon? Yeah, I think so. Fair enough. You know, anyway. I'll put a wrap my, in my bag just in case. Yeah, <laughs> my my, uh, my favourite thing about Wembley is I think it's a fantastic structure and it's like really iconic and it's it's amazing your team's actually playing here, especially when you're a team of this level. Uh, but the rest of it, I just don't like. Uh I've had, I got it quite brutally. I, I've had one good experience there, one okay experience there. It was wait for Wales, England, and two dreadful experiences in Newport. And then after North Ferriby, I never wanted to go to Wembley ever again. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of them. I I don't I, I don't really feel like. It's special because it's I, I'm. It's special because we're in a trophy final, but I don't find Wembley as as special as to everyone. Set everyone says it is because it it's nothing to me. I'm not English. I I don't support the English football team. Uh, yeah, I I, I think. It could be any big stadium in the country, and it'd be the it'd be as great because it's a final. But yeah, Wembley's nothing special to me. Well, can I ask you a question in that case? That's, that's interesting. That if we get to the playoff final and it's at West Ham, does that feel like a disappointment, or would you say going to West Ham or going to Wembley, it's just the same thing? With them two stadiums, yes, this it's the same thing. So if it was Tottenham. You'd be more excited than going to Wembley yeah. because that's a new, fabulous stadium. We've not been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not excited for West Ham because it's a, uh, looks like it's a stadium not built for football. Yeah. Mainly because it's a stadium not built for football, <laughs> and it'll be a disappointment that we can't generate an atmosphere there. But if we were yeah. going to Spurs, I mean, you look at the crowd of, uh, of Spurs against Arsenal in the week. Mm. Uh, um, or, or the weekend, whenever it was, but wow, you know, they can really generate an atmosphere there. Even the Emirates, it's a ground I've not been to. I'd rather have it not been in London, but at the same time, at least at least we're going somewhere new, I guess. There's <laughs> a lot of that. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 that. Yeah, yeah. I'm Luke Young, and this is Dragonheart. Well, yeah, well, for me, at the end of the day, uh, the, the venue's pretty irrelevant to me. Wembley doesn't really mean any, anything to me. I've been there. It's a cool stadium. There's 
other stadiums, in my opinion, that have a lot more history in this country. Anfield, Old Trafford, St. James Park, Villa Park, all have a lot more history and what have you. The only thing that's good about Wembley is that we have a chance to lift a trophy there. It doesn't mean any more than that to me. It's, it's, it's just one of them. But, yeah, it's special. I suppose it's special because we have the chance to win a cup, but all I'm saying is the venue is irrelevant. Ah, uh, sucking the romance out of football since 2002. We could be playing at Queensway, and if there's a trophies involved, it's as special as Wembley, in my opinion. Okay. I'm not quite as negative as that. I think I think it's a magnificent stadium, and I'd love to finally witness a win there. So, put on the town. Yeah, I think it's really exciting that we're there. Yeah, exactly. No, it's exciting that we're at a trophy. It's exciting that we're having our club being talked about on a national scale for fo- footballing reasons as well as what off the pitch. Yeah, it, it's it's fantastic, but. I'd be Man, as excited got, if it was anywhere else. I've got a feeling Che doesn't quite like Wembley. I'm not really sure what's leading me to that opinion, but... Uh, You're a very perceptive man, Bill. <laughs> it's like 15 quid for a hot dog. <laughs> it's off again. Sorry. It's 15 quid for a hot dog, and it's a tenner a pint. No anyway, go and buy your tickets, Wrexham fans, if you haven't already. Go <laughs> buy your tickets. Are you excited Don't yet? Don't be <laughs> Uh, anyway, it's been five hours in the coach going down to a glorified greyhound track, apparently. <laughs> Actually, the old Wembley was a greyhound track, wasn't it? Shouldn't say that. Yeah, but a, a ground that. that had um character and history. I, I saw one game in the old Wembley, and it was weird because I was in the front row and it wasn't the best designed football ground, really, to be honest. And so I'm not a second row on the side, but like I said, it's got a greyhound track around the pitch you had, and you were very low down. It was really hard to see what was going on because they had these weird, like, cover things, um, like wires over the Greyhound uh, course as well. And I think it might have been to stop fans getting over the fence because there were fences then, and then getting on the pitch. And so it was sort of quite hard to see what was going on when, when your eye level was sort of pretty much pitch level. And of course, because of the crown on the pitch, you couldn't really see the far, the players on the far side. You can only see them from the knee up, because the the middle of the pitch had risen and gone down again. It was all odd. And then the winning goal in that game was really bizarre. There was a charity shield, Liverpool against Everton, and Everton won one nil. Took a shot, hit the post. Bruce Grobbler was in goal for Liverpool. He turned around when the ball beat him, and as he t- as he pivoted on his right leg. His left leg swung around as he turned and he inadvertently kicked the ball, which came straight back at his left leg, just straight into his net. It was one of the most brilliant own goals you've ever seen. Um, and, and yeah, it was a dreadful game, boiling hot day, and I couldn't see much of it, but I did see a great own goal. I could see that clearly, you know. <laughs> well, hope was from- win, which speaks to be in a minority, doesn't it, really? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's, let's hope we see... The Bromley keeper, is it Luke Colson? I forgot his name. Oh, who's that goalkeeper's name? Hey, let's hope he's in goal for them. For, yeah. the- <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's hope he's in goal for them. And yeah, after this, we're going to be tying up the show. This is Sean Brisley. 
This is Dragon Heart. Well, I do apologise to all people for my overexcitement of going to Wembley. I hope you all <laughs> have enjoyed this. You may be listening to us on your way to Wembley, and it might be your first time ever going. You turn. Make, <laughs> you turn now and go to the Queensway and watch it there. Um, <laughs> no, um, On the giant yeah. screen they've erected, yeah? yeah. No, no. Uh, honestly, don't listen to me. I hope everyone gets down safely, and I hope we have a fantastic evening. Um, brilliant to speak to you both guys both you guys any final thoughts um, it's, it's actually quite nice to have a cup final to break up the nerves before the playoffs that's like a bit of a novelty isn't it yeah. having what's going to feel a bit like a friendly stopping us from being nervous about the playoffs and that even though there's something on the line and we can win a trophy so uh, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it. How about you, Mark? Yeah, you two are far too blasé. This is a cup final. We get to win a trophy. This this becomes a major thing in our history. Come on, guys. Be positive about it. It's beautiful. And the trophy itself, well, cool. To <laughs> yeah, be fair. It's, it's, it's a really that, cool yeah. trophy, in all yeah. fairness. It's like a weird thing of a ball on top. Yeah, yeah. it'd be cool to win a that lot, A lot of like modern trophies, including like the, the National League and, and the the new Johnson's paint or Papa John's, whatever it's called now. It's just like really boring cylinders with like angles, aren't they? Just like, like angular sort of handles. Whereas you, you're right. Like the, this trophy's dead. Got a lot of character, isn't it? So no, I, I'm really excited. Don't put me in, in the chain camp. I, I am, you know, it's, <laughs> I just, I'm not too bothered if we win or lose uh, in a way. So you it's, just keep talking it kind about of picking the kids and rotating and stuff. <laughs> oh, I meant if I was on FIFA, I'm not in real life. No, don't, don't be sticking a, oh. a, John Jones from the under 15s in. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I am really excited. Just a bit of comedic value, I suppose. And unfortunately, we were meant to be um, joined by Neil Williams, regular commentator. Today. Unfortunately, he couldn't join us because he's been a pig midwife. Uh, so good luck to him. And, uh, and I hope it's all gone well. So, yeah. <laughs> Sows that for bad luck. Oh, oh. hey! <laughs> you made a pig's ear of that, Mark. Oh, oh. please, that's so nice. <laughs> uh, I, there you were in, straight to the pharaoh. Oh, pharaoh. Hey, I'm an English teacher when I go. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I hope. I hope. Good luck to Wrexham on Saturday. Good luck to Neil right now uh, delivering the pigs. Uh, oh, <laughs> let's let's hope. He brings home the bacon. Yeah, let's let's, 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 And then on the West Ham. Well, after that, terrible, terrible remarks. Let's call it end of the day. This has been Dragonheart. Come on, the Reds. I'm Aaron Hayden, and this is Dragonheart's. 